Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. I like those enthusiastic good mornings I heard. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to continue our series on the book of Colossians. Wave at me if you were here last week or watched it. Okay, good. We got through a little bit of chapter one, and we're going to pick up there today. Go ahead and get out your Bibles if you're going to follow along in your Bible. Um, Now's the time to get there, Colossians. Look it up in the index if you need to. Last week, we talked about the context for this letter. Do you remember that? We talked about how it's written by a particular person to a particular church with their own particular issues at a particular time in history. Right? And as you start to think about that and what that really means, you start to gain the context of why this letter was written. Um, so we take the task as we read scripture, especially in these New Testament letters, to try to understand that, pull out the meaning in that original context and apply it to our community of believers here at New Day and to apply it to our own lives. So we're going to pick up In chapter 1, verse 9 this morning, hopefully I gave you enough time to turn there if you were going to turn there electronically or paperically, whatever you call it in a paper bio, (laughs) tangibly. You guys have all sorts of great words for that. So let's, I'll read it to you guys. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's a pretty awesome section But if you're like me, when you've read this before, or even as I read it to you this morning, you're like, wow, that's one long sentence. (laughs) Like, there's some really good stuff in there, but I got lost after the semicolon in verse 10. Yeah, there is a semicolon in verse 10 for those of you who are checking. So, Paul, let's just break it down in bullets, okay? That was easier for me, and I hope it'll be easier for you. Paul is praying that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, have spiritual wisdom and understanding, walk worthy of the Lord, be fully pleasing to him, bear fruit in good works, increase in knowledge of God, and then have power, endurance, patience, and joy. Those come at the end. So we're going to talk more about the meaning of this prayer in a minute. But first, I want to do something a little different. I was hoping to give you an experience of it this morning. So if you're willing to play this fun game with me, go ahead and take a posture of receiving, whatever that means to you, and close your eyes. I'm actually going to pray this prayer over you so you can experience the way the Colossians might have experienced it a little more. Yeah, some of you might have already opened your hands. Maybe open your hands as a posture of receiving. So Heavenly Father, I come to you in prayer this morning and bring this new day family of believers before you. Fill them with the knowledge of your will. Give them spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
equip them with these things so they can walk worthy of you, Jesus. May this community of believers please you. May they do good works that bear fruit. May they increase in their knowledge of you. Strengthen them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Give them endurance. Give them patience. Give them joy. Thank you, God, for each one of these, your people. Thank you for the community created as they share together in your kingdom. Amen. Wow, that was good for me. Was that good for you guys too? <laughs> I liked that. That was fun. So one thing I really like about the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians that I just prayed over you is this. It portrays an ever-deepening spiral. Paul's like saying, hey, know God more. Know his will. Then apply it. Remember that part about good works and bearing fruit. He's saying, you're gaining wisdom and understanding. Now apply that in your walk with the Lord. Please him. Do good works that bear fruit. And as you do, guess what? You're going to know God more. And you're going to have the opportunity to apply that. And it's this ever-deepening spiral. Take another turn. Know God more from your most recent application of what you learned about him, the understanding you gained, your knowledge of him. And then you'll get a new one. Apply it. Know him. Apply it. How many did I do? Four. <laughs> Another way to say it is that when we say yes to Jesus, a deeper level of relationship opens up to us. Every time we say yes again, we go deeper in relationship with him. We grow and mature by saying yes to God and putting it into action. So this is a huge part of mine and Marilee's testimony. Where we're at today as a result of our saying yes and progressing through our personal ever-deepening spiral with the Lord. When we moved back to Kalamazoo after college and back to New Day Community Church, um, we had a rocky young marriage. It was fraught with ungodly beliefs that were playing out in our lives. Um, we couldn't even identify what the problem was necessarily, but there were problems. <laughs> we had all these unhelpful coping mechanisms to try to deal with them. And it was just making things worse. So our knowledge of his will in our marriage was uh, pretty small. <laughs> but we said yes to one thing, coming to get help from associate pastors at the time, Scott and Stephanie Jones. They led, led us through what New Day calls healing and restoration ministry. And we gained a little more knowledge of God in our marriage, a little more knowledge of him where there were ungodly beliefs. They were replaced by some truth and knowledge of him. And we were able to start walking out a marriage that was more worthy of Jesus and more honoring to each other. Just a little bit. <laughs> we saw good fruit. We gained some understanding of the Lord as, we, as it played out in our marriage. And then we had to like say yes again, get a little more growth. And if you repeat that, well, we repeated that cycle over and over and over. And now we've built what I'd consider a very strong marriage. But we continue to have to 
run into some trouble, <laughs> whatever that may look like. Look for some knowledge of God in that situation. Say yes to what he's calling us to do to make a difference. And then get to know him better and experience a stronger marriage. The same is true for us in the area of ministry. We said yes to teaching little kids Sunday school a long time ago. It was really fun. Um, some of those, I won't tell you how old those kids are today. <laughs> some of you know, because you're like, I was in that class. Um, but we came to know more of Jesus by sitting in the classroom, the jungle room, and doing Sunday school with those kids. And then we said yes to helping out with youth group and helping Adam and Tara take a, a team of wild and crazy high schoolers, maybe middle schoolers and high schoolers to West Virginia for a mission trip. And we definitely increased our knowledge of God in that situation. Maybe patience and all sorts of other things. Um, but then we said yes to leading the welcome team. We said yes to leading healing and restoration ministry. Yes to preaching. Yes to becoming pastors. And eventually yes to becoming your lead pastors. But you see how that in the realm of ministry was another one of these spirals where we said yes to something. We learned some more about God and about ourselves. And then we had to go apply that for the next thing. They build on each other. And actually, uh, that's what Paul is saying when he talks about his prayer for the Colossians. It's exactly how it worked in our lives over the years. And this is what was being preached before I got up here about breakthrough. I didn't show them my notes. Once again, the Holy Spirit's at work in our Sunday morning services. But get this, each yes builds on the one before it. Each breakthrough comes from your faithfulness to put the last one into practice. That was pretty good. I want to say it again. <laughs> each yes builds on the one before it. And each breakthrough that you're going to encounter in your life comes from your faithfulness to put the last one into practice. They build on each other. They're ever deepening. If you look back at your history as a follower of Jesus, can you map out the spirals in your life? Can you see where your yes to Jesus took you into deeper relationship with him? And most importantly, is it time to say yes again? I'd encourage you to say yes <laughs> and to put it into action. As you do, I'm praying for you. All right. It's really interesting. In verse 6 that we looked at last week, it talks about bearing fruit and increasing. It's talking about how the gospel bears fruit and is increasing all around the world. Today in verse 10, as Paul talks about his prayer for the Colossians, he says the same phrase, how they are bearing fruit and increasing. Remember last week we said how bearing fruit sort of represents reproduction. You know, new life being born and how the increasing represents maturity. So what the gospel does on a global scale, it also does in your life. New life is being reproduced all around the world as the gospel is preached, but new life is being reproduced in you as you hold to the truth of the good news about Jesus. And as you live it out amongst the people who are in your circle of influence. The gospel is increasing and bringing maturity to God's kingdom all around the world. 
but it also is bringing maturity to you as a Christian as you live it out. Bearing fruit and increasing. That repetition is on purpose. Repetition's there to get our attention. In verse 12, Paul says, The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. And this, at first glance, at least for me, this kind of seems like a complicated way of saying they received the gospel and they're Christians now. <laughs> I don't know if you've breezed through this one like I have. Um, but expressing it in this particular way, the Apostle Paul is pulling up to the surface for us all sorts of implications and imagery from the Exodus in the Old Testament. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God's people were freed. God sent a deliverer, Moses, to come and lead them out of bondage to help them enter into a covenant relationship with God and then find their inheritance, the promised land. And Paul's saying now, at this point in history, when he writes this letter to the people in that city, Colossae, he's saying, look, guys, God did it again in Jesus. There's a deliverer who's been appointed to come and set us free from our bondage, to bring us to a promised land and to grant us an inheritance. He's calling us to make a new covenant with God through him. Paul just comes out and says it in the next verse, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This time around, in this deliverance, we're not being freed from an earthly taskmaster like they were from Egypt but we're being freed from a spiritual slave master, aren't we? In this new covenant, we inherit redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and we inherit a heavenly kingdom ruled by the beloved son of God. So Jesus is compared to Moses here. That's what I'm getting at, right? <laughs> He's portrayed as deliverer in the letter to the Colossians. He's portrayed as the maker of a new covenant. But don't get it twisted. Jesus is better than Moses. <laughs> and if you're joining us in the Bible reading plan, the Red Bibles or using the app, uh, we read about it this week in Hebrews. Hebrews is great for thinking through this, this sort of thing, comparing Old and New Covenant. This week we read, Jesus has been counted worry, worthy of more glory than Moses. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So Jesus served in the house of God, but Jesus is the heir. It's his inheritance that we actually share in as Christians. The son is far greater than the servant is the point. It's also really interesting that the priesthood was instituted under Moses. The priests in the Old Testament offered sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people and their own sins again and again. But Jesus, our high priest, which he's called also in Hebrews, he provides a permanent sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. It's kind of worth pausing for a moment here and thinking about our current day and our current culture, you know? 
we have some notions of what to do with guilt and sin. Setting aside the fact that some people will just like want to uh, live in denial. Not to go with like a, a Moses pun there, but that's what I thought of as soon as I said denial. <laughs> Sorry. I heard it. I couldn't let it go. <laughs> the denial, denial. Anyways, some people just ignore it. Or even worse, like in our day, embrace it as if guilt and sin, like take pride in it. You know what I mean? But setting that aside, the ones that I think of most are, um, you know, trying to deal with sin on our own, like being really sorry for it. You know, we wouldn't say that out loud, but sometimes we're like, oh, you know, I messed up. I'm going to, after I feel really sorry for a certain amount of time, then I can approach God again. That's dealing for, with sin on our own. Or doing good works to uh, try to outweigh the sinfulness. You know, you picture like God's scales of justice or something. You're like, ooh, this was a bad one. I better like volunteer at the gospel mission. I better pray more. I better really, you know, you know whatever your things are that you think are the good works that are going to outweigh the scales of justice. Sometimes we do that. Again, you wouldn't say that out loud. No one's writing that in their statement of faith. But don't we live that way sometimes? I have. <laughs> It's messed up. It's messed up thinking. Only Jesus' death on the cross can atone for our sins. He offers forgiveness once and for all of them. It's what he did at the cross. He demonstrates his power over sin and death by his resurrection. He's alive today as proof that he has power to forgive those sins. And isn't it freeing to think about the fact that you don't have to outweigh the skills of justice? To be honest with you, if you're ever like, it's hard for you to believe me on the whole scales of justice thing, one little sin is unbalanceable. <laughs> you can't do it. It's a, it's a divide too broad for you to bridge. So don't try. Instead, just come to Jesus. He loves you enough to die for you, and he took care of it. Amen. Hebrews puts it this way. He, came, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Again, greater than Moses. Okay, we're going to move on to the next section of Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, which I can't tell you how excited I am about this section. I could try, but that's too broad a gap for me to bridge also. <laughs> In this passage, Jesus is beautiful amazing, supreme. He's before it all, and we're going to get into it. It's also beautiful in the way that it was written. It's so rich and so amazing. So without further ado, let's take a look at it. Uh, what I've done here is take this passage and, and display it on the slide in a little different way. Um, it'll become really obvious why probably as soon as you see it, but definitely as we start talking about it, all right? Kind of small. Uh. He's the image of God, the invisible one, firstborn of all creation. For in him everything was created, in the heavens and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities, everything has been created through him and to him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be first. For in him all God's fullness was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile everything to him, making peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether things on the earth or things in the heavens. Told you it was good. So guys, this is a poem. And that's why I laid it out more like in verse. If you read it, if your Bible translation has it in a paragraph, it's totally lost. But shown this way, you can see that there's a structure. There's a balance. And that's there in the original Greek language that Paul penned it in. There's meaning built into the parallelism. That's why I read you a section on the left. Your left. Then I read you a section I put at the bottom and then a section that's on the right. So you could see how the, the beginning and the ending are parallel to each other. There's a, what I'm calling a turning point in linguistic symmetry in this poem. Whoa, fancy, right? <laughs> The statements that are made along a line of symmetry are points of emphasis. We'll talk about that. But this passage is God's truth revealed through a beautiful work of art. And I think displaying it like this helps us start to see that. So let's look at some of the parallels from the section on the left to the section on the right. Arrows are helpful for that. Also the colors. (laughs) So in the first section, Paul says that Jesus is the image of God. And in the second section, he's the beginning. The first section, he's firstborn of all creation. In the second section, he's firstborn from the dead. In the first section, it says, for in him, everything was created. In the second section, for in him, all God's fullness was pleased to dwell. And so we start seeing these as parallels, but also then they make a picture of he's this and he's that. He's this and he's that, a flow of thought, you know, this one and that one. In the first section, Jesus is revealed as cosmic creator God. The second section with the parallels reveals Jesus as God in the flesh, reconciling everything to himself. So Jesus is God at work in creation, and Jesus is God at work in a new creation. Isn't that cool? A redemption. He's the climax of human history up till now when Paul writes, and he's the launch pad for a new beginning. Okay, there's another set of parallels. That one was really cool though, right? That one was really cool. Digest that. It'll be on YouTube later. (laughs) Think about that one. The other set of parallels is where it says, in him, through him, and to him. These aren't quite as lined up in my side by side. But what it's highlighting for us by reusing those little phrases in both sections is that in Jesus, in him, God creates and all is created through him. And to him. And then now, as Paul writes, 
In him, God dwells and all is reconciled through him and to him. Isn't that cool? It is. All right. So there's a really important point that needs to be made about one of the words in this passage. But in order to understand my next slide, you have to understand my engineering nerdiness one more time. Okay? So I'm the type of engineer that does programming. Um, And in some programming languages, if you do an exclamation point and then an equal sign, it means not equal. These two things are not equal to each other. Does that make sense? So firstborn does not equal born first. In both of the parallel passages, it calls Jesus firstborn. But it doesn't mean born first. Firstborn, again, if we go back to the original Greek language and start to understand it, it's actually more about a title of ownership. Jesus is the son who owns the estate of the father. He owns all of creation. He owns the resurrected new creation as well. So this is more a term of rank and authority, not birth order. Does that make sense? So people misuse and misunderstand this word and try to say that Jesus is a created being. You know, like he's not God or like he's the first of mankind or like he's kind of like an angel, but maybe a little better or whatever twisted notion of it that they try to use this verse to support. It's a misunderstanding of what Paul was saying. Paul wasn't saying that. (laughs) Jesus is portrayed in Paul's wording and in this letter and in this poem as the pre-existent one, eternally the image of God in the form of the Son. He's the expression of God's creative work in Genesis. It was created by him, through him, for him. And now Paul's saying... Poetically so, Jesus is still the image, the eternal image of God. Now he's the expression of God's creative work in a new Genesis. A new creation is occurring by him, through him, and for him. This new creation reconciles, redeems, and renders peace on all who will accept it through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought that was pretty good too. I'm going to say that one again. (laughs) So a new creation is occurring by him, through him, for him. The new creation reconciles, redeems, and renders peace on all who will accept it through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to turn our attention to another part of this poem. We're not leaving the poem yet. It's too good. The next part is kind of like bologna. No, that's a bad sandwich uh, meat to pick. Kind of like peppered turkey. Let's go with peppered turkey because bologna has other connotations. I didn't mean at all. I really should have planned out my meat uh, analogies better. There's a sandwich happening. There's a poetic sandwich that we just read. We've got two slices of bread with all these parallels and then the peppered, black peppered turkey in the middle. So that's what we're going to turn our attention to now. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, Jesus. It's not baloney by any stretch of the imagination. That is not what I meant, you guys. 
Don't let that be your takeaway this morning. I know you. <laughs> Five years from now, somebody's going to tell me about it. My favorite message is that one where you talked about baloney. <laughs> I'll laugh with you. Go for it. Keep that in your notes. Okay. In the middle of the poetic sandwich, we find this. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Isn't it funny that this little stanza in the middle of the poetic sandwich is itself a poetic sandwich? A sandwich within a sandwich. Delicious. (laughs) In the first line, Jesus is before all things. And there's a connotation of him being the source of the created world in that. And then the third line, the other bread of our sandwich within a sandwich, he's the head of the body of the church. Again, it's a connotation of being the source. Think of it like how your brain is the source of your beating heart and your breathing lungs. The second line in the middle of the sandwich, one of those lines of symmetry to pay attention to, what's it say? Jesus holds it all together. It's a perfect middle for this stanza, and it's a perfect middle for the whole poem, isn't it? Jesus is the center of it all in this poem and in reality and in the lives of all who put their trust in him. He's the focus of the poem. He's the focus of human history. Everything that came before points to him. Everything that is to come proceeds from him. He's the turning point, the initiator of a new creation. This poem rocks. Okay, there's one more phrase we need to pay attention to before we leave the sandwich poem. Some of you might have noticed this already, that in the parallel stanzas that I've got up there, there was one line that didn't have a match. Right? There's a blank on the left side, and there's a line on the right side. That line says, so that in everything he might be first. I find it really striking that there's not a parallel. And I think the point, again, is for emphasis to draw our attention to it and to put an exclamation point on the two parallels that are right next to it. That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn from the dead. Some of your translations for this little line might say, so that in everything he might be preeminent. So if you're looking in your Bible, you might see that. But the Greek word there is actually another form of the Greek word for firstborn. When you say firstborn and preeminent, there's no English connection, right? At least not an obvious one that I can think of in terms of the actual letters in the word. (laughs) But when you say firstborn and first, wow, even an engineer can catch that one, right? (laughs) So again, it's an exclamation point, first. Jesus is first and foremost. The firstborn over all creation from the beginning, the firstborn of the new creation all the way until the end. Jesus is first and foremost. It brings to mind what he says in Revelation 21. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning 
and the end. Man, this is a stunning and beautiful section of scripture. And it warrants a response. It's significant. It's weighty. And so the next thing Paul does in the letter is talk about the Colossians' uh, need to respond to that. Let's read it. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul's pointing out how the Colossian believers in Jesus have been reconciled by Jesus' death on the cross, what he did for them. And he challenges them to continue in the faith, to be steadfast and stable, keep on keeping on. We talked about that during the worship service this morning too, didn't we? So I think we too would do well to respond. Are you in the place this morning that the Colossians were in before being reconciled? Paul says they were alienated. They were hostile toward God. They hadn't become believers yet. If that's you today. Jesus has provided everything you need to be reconciled to God. What he did at the cross is everything you need to have a relationship with God. And if you are already one of his reconciled new creation people, are you continuing in the truth? Are you being stable and steadfast? Are you following that ever-deepening spiral that we talked about earlier of knowing him more and applying it? I want to encourage you this morning to grow and mature by saying yes to God and putting it into action. That's a good response to take when we see the beauty of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. Merely we come and close the service this morning. All right, thank you so much. All right, well, let's just stand and we'll respond. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Yes, Lord, we just want to continue saying yes to you and continue learning more and going deeper, understanding you more, gaining the wisdom and knowledge, and then applying it. And we just repent if we ever feel like we've arrived, like we've got it, and, and we're just coasting. There's not a coasting. It's, it is that deepening spiral. Um, and so we just want to keep our hearts soft, like we prayed about earlier, to continue um, being trained up by you in wisdom and knowledge and continue applying it. That is the call for the follower of Christ, and so that's what we want to do as Christians this morning. And um, so, church, let's just pray. Repeat after me if you want to um, just express this prayer to continue growing and just say, Father... I say yes to you again, and I um, 
I, I set myself up and I'm determined to continue saying yes to you. I want to be filled with wisdom and knowledge from Scripture. And I want to apply it every day of my life. Help me to apply it today <laughs> and throughout the rest of this week. Amen.